It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Missouri plays Eastern Michigan this week. That should be a relatively easy win. A lot of times on the podcast, we break down the opponent. Frankly, I don't have a whole lot of interest in doing that this week. Uh, If it's not an easy win, it's going to be a long season. There's my breakdown. We've done some of it on the site. We'll do some more of it, but uh, we're going to spend time looking at some more compelling storylines around the SEC and uh, going to bring in some of my colleagues that cover SEC football. We're going to start with Neil McCready covers Old Miss for the uh, Rivals.com network. Neil, what's going on, man? You sound like me. Old Miss plays Wofford Saturday, and my line was, if we're still talking about Wofford after about 5.30 on Saturday afternoon, the season just went straight to hell. Yeah, that, that's what I said. I mean, look, if if Missouri starts the fourth quarter against Eastern Michigan and it's close, uh, it, one crowd will dismiss it and say it's early, and then the truth will be, uh-oh, the next 10 weeks aren't going to be very fun. So. Exactly. I mean, that's – you're like me with this. I mean, there's a lot of people in our field who are addicted to spin, and I've never understood why because the rea- – it's one of the great things about sports, right, is that every single game I have ever covered started with the scoreboard saying zero to zero. <laughs> and it is, it is, it is a if, – if the team you cover, if they're bad, there is no reason for you to spend the offseason telling people it's going to be okay. It's not. Right, and right. If, and if, if in week two you're losing to Wofford or Eastern Michigan or it's close – that's like Mississippi State lost to South Alabama last week, and all these people are kind of spinning it or whatever. And I said, man, I've, I've seen this movie before. Right. Ole Miss, Ole Miss lost to Jacksonville State to open the 2010 season. And I said, it's over. It, <laughs> might, take a ye- it might take a year for it to be over, but it's over. And I was right. And, you know, it, you're, you're exactly right. If you're, if you're still talking about Eastern Michigan on, on Saturday night, man, yeah. It's over. Yeah. I, I can't name one Eastern Michigan player. I won't be able to by kickoff on Saturday. That's just honest. Uh, I, I did learn my lesson a little bit a couple years ago when Missouri lost to Indiana and everybody said the season's over and they ended up in the SEC title game. But look, uh, at least Indiana was in a major conference. All right. So they play Ole Miss plays Wofford on Saturday. And I guess if you've got to have a short week after what happened to Ole Miss on Monday, uh, it, Wofford is a good opponent, but nobody cares about that. Uh, Neil, I am not the uh, stay-up-late kind, so I went to bed with Ole Miss leading that game, something like 28-13, and yeah. a friend of mine had texted me and said, look out, this FSU quarterback is the real deal, and he might lead him back. Uh, so what the hell happened? You want a great stat? I just saw it. And I'm, I'm stunned and I'm mad at myself that I didn't realize it. But you know how it is when you're bogged in the middle of covering a game. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can just miss things. Here's a great stat for you, Gabe. Ole Miss, Ole Miss scored a touchdown with about four minutes to go in the second quarter to take a 28-6 lead. By the time uh, Florida State scored the next 30 points. Wow. In that period, oh, here's the stat. Guess how many offensive plays Ole Miss ran? Uh, fewer than 30. Four. And one oh was my. a kneel down. Oh, at my the end goodness. Of the half. 
So Florida State drives down the field, gets a touchdown, 28-13. Ole Miss gets the kickoff, downs the ball, goes in at the half. Interception, uh, and then on the first play after that, and then a fumble on the second play of the next possession. Uh. Touchdown, touchdown, Florida State leads. It is unbelievable how that happened. I mean, it is. Yeah. I saw that stat. And I'm like, oh my god, that's right. So I don't, I don't know. People, and you know, this is what we do. We make these sweeping assertions on on what happened or what didn't happen. Here's what happened: they dominated the first half of the football game, and then they turned it over. Yeah. And you can't you can't turn it over in big boy football against big boy teams when you do, especially in your own territory. Turnover, quick score, turnover, quick score, momentum, the place got loud, et cetera. Now, on the other side of that, Florida State figured two things out. One, they figured out that they could throw underneath route after underneath route after underneath route against Ole Miss, and they were going to have receivers open, and they did it. And two, when Ole Miss lost Eric Swinney for the season in the second quarter, Florida State figured out, you know what, they're not going to be able to run. And they put – Four guys who could really rush the passer. They are an immensely talented team, the Seminoles, and they put four guys who could rush the passer at defensive line, and they just disrupted uh, what Ole Miss was trying to do on offense. So if if you're an Ole Miss fan, it's one of those deals where you saw in the first half what that offense can be, which is super explosive, and you saw in the second half what happens when you run tempo and nothing but tempo and you turn it over or you get nothing on first down, that deal can go to hell in a handbasket fast. Yeah, tempo's interesting. Missouri ran 100 plays last week with a fairly ineffective offense, and going fast for the purpose of going fast, I'm not sure I get it. So I I know that you're a big fan of sweeping assertions, as you just said, Neil, so I'm going to ask you to make a couple. Number one, was Monday night more about what Florida State is or what Ole Miss is? And number two, which team – I know the truth is somewhere in the middle, but which team yeah. is Ole Miss closer to, the first half one or the second half one? Well, we're going to find that out in the next two weeks. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a cop-out answer, but it's the real answer. I'm not sure. I Look, they lost their top corner on the first defensive series to an absolutely catastrophic knee injury. He tore every ligament in his knee. Um, wow. They had to completely change their defensive secondary. It's part of it. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna come back. I am gonna answer your question. It's part <laughs> of why those of us who cover Ole Miss are almost baffled at the university for not fighting a little harder against this NCAA thing. Because if Ole Miss cheats the way that the NCAA apparently believes that Ole Miss cheats, they are either being outbid on recruit after recruit after recruit on the defensive side of the football, or they are the worst cheaters in the history (laughs) of cheating. Missouri basketball wants to talk about that. (laughs) Yes. And and, 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 am I saying that Ole Miss runs a clean program? No. In fact, I'm saying that no program runs a clean program. But they have lost a lot of defensive recruiting battles over the last several years, and it shows. So for them to be the team – that they think they can be, which is a team that gets back into the SEC race, that is in the an access bowl. For them to be that team, it appears that they are going to have to outscore people. And I think in this league, that's really hard to do. 
So if you made me guess, I'm guessing this is a seven and five, eight and four team that is very dangerous. If you came down and told me tomorrow, if the football guys came down and said, Oh, Miss beats Alabama again, I'd go, Yeah, that's it. And I think Alabama's going to win the national title. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, they're they're capable. Florida State's a really good team. Florida State will be in the national title hunt, no doubt about it. And for the better part of thirty minutes, Ole Miss kicked their ass. Yeah. So what do you what do you make from that? I don't know. It it, it just shows you for Ole Miss the margin for error is going to be thin. They're not going to be able to turn the football over quickly and throw their defense back on the field and expect to beat good teams. And see, other- they don't. Go ahead. If they don't turn it over, if they if, if if they play a game against an Alabama or a Georgia and the turnover battle is like one-to-one, man, they got a shot. Offensively, they can score points, and they can score them quickly. Yeah. I think the SEC is full of teams like that. They got about 12 or 13 teams this year that on any given day, they're going to beat somebody that plays in the SEC title game, and on any given day, they're going to lose to Vanderbilt or Mississippi State. Uh I want to finish up just you you alluded to the next two weeks I mean Ole Miss's schedule I just looked at it for the first time and the way I wanted to originally frame this question was who did Hugh Freeze piss off but I know who he pissed off he pissed off the NCAA so (laughs) I I mean okay they get Wofford then home for Bama home for Georgia home for Memphis at Arkansas at LSU you got to be kidding me I mean what oh, do you it's think? A, it's a gauntlet. You, you get through that that slate three and two, you're like doing cartwheels in Oxford, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and if they get through this slate three and two and get to their open date, and, and they're fairly healthy, they could do what they do, what they did last year, which is get super hot in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, they've got to win one of these next two games. It, it all really depends on – it's what's fascinating about this league and the playoff and stuff, right, is everybody's down on them today. I am a little bit. But if they were to beat Alabama, they wake up the next morning, you can't have a discussion about the national championship race without including their name. Right. Because they would be the favorites in the SEC West until they bungled it. <laughs> right, until but, they go to Baton Rouge in October. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, their schedule's – their schedule's weird. I mean, you know, they 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 play Florida State. Then Georgia's going to come in as a top ten team. Now Georgia's not. From what I've seen, Georgia is not Florida State or Alabama. That that's right. a game that Ole Miss could win. But you know, typically teams don't perform well the week after they play Alabama. They they don't have a lot of, of uh, juice in the tank. So I, I don't know what will happen there. But then they get Memphis. Memphis is not the same team it was a year ago. Paxton Lynch is gone. They get an open day. They go to Arkansas, and I'm a believer if you're going to go to Arkansas, go early in the year before it gets wet and cold. And then they go down to LSU where Ole Miss traditionally plays extremely well. They still have to go to A&M, and I think A&M's a sleeper in this deal. Um, You know, they get Auburn at home. Auburn is really good on defense. Uh, This this league's tough, man. I mean, yet at the same time. At least half of it. Yeah, and at the same time, They've got an elite quarterback, elite receivers, and their offensive line was significantly better on Monday night than people thought it would be, and that's going to give them a chance if they can figure it out on defense a little bit. They they are not athletic at linebacker. They're young, but they're very athletic, but very young at safety, and now because of Ken Webster's injury, they're super young at corner. They're going to start two freshmen at cornerback. 
All right, last thing for you, Neil, and, and I don't want you to go through this whole thing because I'm sure you're so sick of talking about it, but just give me an idea. When's the NCAA stuff over? Like, when's there a resolution? Um, 2037. They're going to wrap <laughs> I, I know that up. feeling, man. We just went through a ridiculous NCAA v- basketball investigation that lasted like three years. Can I, can I go on my mini rant on this? I promise I'll keep it I, I enjoy your mini rants, so, yeah, I'm good. This is where I don't – I know that everybody hates everybody and all the schools hate each other and everybody wants to see somebody go down. I get it. I do. I get it. But at the same time, if you're a, if you're a coach, you look at what happened to uh, Donnie Tindall, mm-hmm. and if you're a coach, you look at what's happening to Ole Miss football and you go, wait a minute, these are witch hunts. Th- this isn't an investigation. This is a witch hunt. They've dug on this Ole Miss class for four years. Four years, Gabe. And I'm not saying there's nothing to find, but holy hell, if you're any good, find it. <laughs> right. They, they haven't point, found and it. At, and at some point, at the end of this, I keep waiting for people to go, here's what drives me crazy. is The national media, for the most part, believes that college football players should get paid. And I tend to agree. I, they, they, it's, it's insane. You dig on this program for four years, and you come away with about $15,000 worth of improper benefits. None, zero, not one cent of pay-for-play. Not yep. one cent of traditional, oh, they're paying their players to come to Ole Miss or to Alabama or Missouri or wherever. It's stuff like they let a kid sleep on a, on a, um, on a coach's couch. Yep. They let a kid a kid got kicked out of an apartment by his girlfriend and they, they, they put him up for a night somewhere. I mean, it's, it's a kid like Laramie Tunsil who said, Hey, I need some help for a utility bill. You're telling me that stuff doesn't happen everywhere. Right. At the end, where is the people that go, man, this is insane. These are, this is the sec where a hundred thousand people are routinely packing Football stadiums, Tennessee's going to put 120-something thousand people in a stadium on Saturday. And a kid asking for $200 is an egregious thing. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be a punishment, but here's the thing is after four years, for the love of God, get it over with. And and why anyone, and this is where Ole Miss is stupid, and if Ole Miss gets hammered, it's on them. Why anyone would cooperate with an NCAA investigation is beyond me. If I'm ever running an athletic department and they come in wanting to investigate my department, my response is essentially going to be no obli inglés. <laughs> we are not helping you. Yeah. I mean, dig all you want. We're denying everything. We didn't do jack. Yeah. Hey, well, Neil, I'll tell you what, and there are a bunch of Missouri basketball fans giving you a standing ovation right now. So, uh, well, I'm with them because what happened to Missouri was a joke. And if you're going to, and it was, it was about 8,000 bucks, like you said, of hotels and boat rides, I think. Stupid. It's stupid. I mean, and it shouldn't, and if you're going to hammer a program, you've got the goods right away. Expedite the process. If they're cooperating with you and essentially pleading guilty, get it over with. Yep. Yep. No question, man. The uh, slowest moving body in all of sports. Well, Neil, appreciate it, man. Always enjoy it. And, uh, We'll be we'll catch up down the road. Ole Miss Alabama, uh, probably more exciting than Ole Miss Wofford, but you never know. I would I would guess. Hey Gabe, anytime, buddy. I always enjoy talking to you. All right, man. Have a good one. All 
All right, turn our attention now to Knoxville, Tennessee. And unlike Ole Miss, Tennessee actually has a game that uh, should be exciting this week. Virginia Tech at Bristol Motor Speedway. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, first, talking to Paul Fortenberry from VolQuest.com. And Paul, sum it up, man. I know Tennessee's better than what we saw on national TV last week, right? I think so. And, and I think we need to give a little credit to Appalachian State as well. I think most of us you know, you see a Sun Belt team and, and you kind of just glance it off. But at the same time, they were 11-2 and two last year. They had won 17 of their last 19 games. Um, I, I know a n- number of people uh, in the coaching world expect uh, Miami to lose to them when they make the trip up to Boone, North Carolina, last year in what is a very interesting matchup for Miami to choose uh, to head to Boone, although they'll probably be playing in a bigger crowd than uh, they'll see at home this year. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Tennessee – certainly didn't look as prepared, which is concerning given it's the first game of the season. Um, And and Butch Jones had said all along, you know, this team is better than we thought. Well, you know, it didn't seem like Tennessee took it like that uh, throughout the offseason. So uh, they've they've got a really big job. I do think they're better than what we saw. And and talking to some of the coaches this week, they really thought it was um, down to, you know, a couple little things where it was one guy in a breakdown in pass protection or one guy didn't get to the second level um, uh, to block a linebacker for, to, to spring a running back uh, or the receiver ran the, ran the wrong route. Um, defensively, they held up really well. Only 13 points, 109 passing yards. They did give up 184 rushing yards, but uh, it, most of that was to a guy, Marcus Cox, who had, had 4,000 yards in his first three, th- uh, three seasons at Appalachian State. So I wow. think most people think he's an NFL kind of running back. But, well, this is the this is the real test this week. I think we'll see a lot more just how good Tennessee is, or maybe yeah. isn't. I, I watched about the last two and a half quarters of that Appalachian State game. And, and, look, we've all seen upsets happen where you go, wow, one team played out of its head. If I'm a Tennessee fan, the concerning part of that game to me is I, I watched, like I said, about two and a half, three quarters of it. And like it looked like Appalachian State was supposed to be the better team. I mean, it was it was the line of scrimmage. It was Tennessee getting the breaks on the bounces to win, not not kind of the other way around. I mean, it, it, do you think there is uh, it, there is even though we think they're better than they showed, there's got to be some concern coming out of that, right? Oh, I think so. I mean, that, that, that's the you know I think that's kind of what we're waiting for. It's Virginia Tech. It, it's kind of is what we saw against Appalachian State really what this team is? Because if it is this is going to be a very long season and they won't, they won't meet any preseason expectations that really anyone had for them. Um, so certainly there's concern and it starts up front at the line of scrimmage. I mean, they, they, they did not do a good job of protecting Joshua Dobbs. They thought they could go down the field all night long against the Appalachian state defensive back group that had, um, that were essentially starting a freshman and a couple of sophomore corners. Um, and, and I don't think any of them were over five eleven. Um, and Tennessee had six four, six three wide receivers out, out on the edges. So Tennessee wanted to do more. They couldn't protect up front, uh, particularly on the interior of the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think that's part of why Joshua Dobbs ended up with ne- negative rushing yards. Usually, you know, your pressure comes from outside, and Dobbs does a really good job of stepping up into the pocket and then finding a lane to run. Well, this time it was coming from the inside, and he was running out to the edge rushers. And, and um, and, and so he ended up for the first time in his career with negative four rushing yards. And if Joshua Dobbs doesn't use his feet, um, he's an average quarterback. Yeah. That's the reality of it. He doesn't scare anyone with his arm. Um, he's really an average passer. Um, so if you take away the threat of him running downfield and, and getting you 
50, 60 yards a game, then he becomes an average quarterback instead of the guy that helped you win nine games last year and um, has helped you, you know, in miracle wins over South Carolina and Georgia last year. They've got to get his feet going this weekend and really for the rest of the year. That led right into my next question, which I remember talking to you guys on the sideline in Columbia three years ago. Missouri won that game 31-3, but I said – I kind of like this Dobbs kid. I, I like what I saw, but like you said, he's got to run. So, and he didn't run against Appalachian State. Was that something they did? Was it Tennessee thinking, "Hey, we can win this game without him running"? Or is there concern because we all saw the hit? I, I thought he got broken half on the hit on the game-winning play. Is there concern that we've got to protect him a little bit because we've got to have him on the field? But then also, you do that, and he's not the player you know he is. Yeah, I don't think you can protect him and not run him. Because like you said, if if you do that, he's not as effective. The one time they tried to do that last year against North Texas, it was a homecoming game in November, and they're, you know, they're trying to finish out the season on that win streak. Tennessee struggled to score. They didn't even get 30 points against what was literally one of the five worst defenses in all of college football last year. And so they've got to use his feet. I mean, I know that that you want to try and protect your quarterback and you don't want him to get hurt, and he took an absolutely massive shot on that. But like you said, he just isn't the same quarterback, and frankly, he's not an effective quarterback if you just sit him in the pocket. They've got to get his legs more involved um, because if if you don't do that, this offense stalls out. Um, They become pretty predictable. I think we saw that in the Appalachian State game. I mean, he threw – they had 20 dropbacks, I believe, in the first half. Um, and he uh, and they ran 36 plays, so they had 20 dropbacks on 36 plays in the first half. They had 36 plays through the second half in overtime, and he only had 11 dropbacks. Uh, that, that tells me they took the ball out of his hand, and they wanted to win the game on the ground. So for him to be effective, they have to run the ball. I think that's a huge key this year or this weekend. And they play an Appalachian State defense that gave up 180 yards rushing last year per game. And so it's going to be there. It's it's whether or not Tennessee takes advantage of it, I think. All right, two-part question to get you out here. Again, talking to Paul Fortenberry, VolQuest.com. Uh, Virginia Tech, hey, you know, they're not what they they were maybe 10 years ago. Certainly a good team. But ultimately this season to me is about is Tennessee playing in Atlanta at the end of the year? I mean, starting September 24th, home against Florida at Georgia, at A&M, home against Alabama, hell of a four-week stretch. Uh, Going into last week, did you have Tennessee winning the East? And coming out of last week, do you still think Tennessee wins the East? Uh, going into it, I did have Tennessee winning the East. And, and like you said, Virginia Tech, this is a much – you at least get a better test, I feel like, a better feel of where they are. They have a couple of good receivers, uh, Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford. Um, they have a decent defense. I don't think they're great or anything. So you at least get – you feel – a little bit better since they're a power five team, but heading out of last week, um, I don't know. I, I think for me, that's my answer right now. I don't know. I wrote this in our, our predictions on Friday. Um, Butch has called this, you know, the first game, the game of the unknowns all year. I, I contest that the second game is just as much a game of the unknowns as well. Is Tennessee really what we saw in the first game or was that just a blip on the radar? Um, and so, you know, you don't want to strip them of, of that just because of one game and, and say, no, they're not going to make it. But, man, Georgia looked really good. I've contended since I saw Jacob Beeson at the Army All-American game um, or down at the practices in San Antonio for a week that Georgia, that, that people do not need to count them out, especially if Chubb is healthy and he looked extremely healthy Yeah, I, I think he's all right. 
Yeah, yeah. And so Jacob Eason, I think he's the guy. I, I really think he's the real deal. He's one of the most talented um, arm quarterbacks I, I've seen in high school. Uh, they need to give that kid the rain, that, that kid the reins as soon as possible. Um, and so I think Georgia's a tougher test than you originally thought. Florida, still very skeptical about. I think they have a good first 11-12 on defense, but after that it drops off. And I, I think it's you know they have a questionable playmakers on offense. So you know right now I think it's still between Tennessee and Georgia, um, but I think that's going to be an extremely critical game down in Athens, and that might just um, I think that might decide the outcome in the East. But Tennessee has to get by Florida first, which they haven't done in 11 years. So who knows what will happen there. Right. Last thing for you, and I I truly ask this question without an agenda because I don't know. Let's say it does go south on Tennessee. Let's say they they don't come anywhere close to those expectations and, you know, they're a a seven-win team, whatever it might be. Is Butch Jones in any trouble after this year or no chance? I don't think after this year. Uh, you know, look, you speaking of being, uh, you know, on the sidelines, you were at the uh, Tennessee game Dewey's last year, yes. the Missouri game. Yes. And, and I mean, M- Missouri was, what, five and seven that year, I think? Um, uh, yeah, I think that was and, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tennessee just gave up so many points. This roster was decimated, um, they, they lacked SEC talent. Um, people, I mean, off the field, away from Tennessee, people don't know that their APR score, they were a semester away from a, from a bowl ban because of their APR score. Um, just behind the scenes, there was, it was a train wreck in so many ways. And Butch has gone a long way, along with uh, Dave Hart, the athletic director, have gone a long way in putting the, the, the tools in place for the football team to be successful, which after the end of the former years, um, Kiffin's year and, and Dewey's year, just everything kind of started to fade away, what Tennessee was built on. And I think Butch has done a really good job of bringing that back. He's had really good recruiting classes. Um, they have another good class stocked up for this year, and they're still in on some really big targets. Um, but, but at the end of the day is they have to win. Now, if he, if he goes eight and four, I think they will certainly be disappointed. They will lose a lot. Um, but they still have a lot of talent on this roster. And so uh, I contend that, you know, if, even if they don't have um, a year where they meet expectations, I, I just – it would have to be a, like, three and nine or four and eight kind of year, I think, for, for anything to happen with Butch. Gotcha. All right, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction on the game, but Tennessee's going to set an attendance record for college football this weekend. I'm going to ask you for a number on the attendance. What do they think? Uh, they'll announce. I would be shocked if they didn't announce the sellout of 150 in that place how many Holy people are cow. in there uh that's I don't gonna know. be fun I don't man. Know that's how many. cool i will say this if it it will be the craziest thing you i think i hope i don't know that tv will do it justice but the stands are so far away from the field i mean it, it's i've been told that from the upper deck essentially of one end zone that sight line to the un, other end zone is nearly a half a mile away wow and yeah, and so I think a lot of people are making the trip just to be a part of the spectacle because you're not going to have the greatest view for football. Now they have a great scoreboard there; they call it the Colossus. It hangs over the field. Um, it looks really cool, and that'll help you see it. I mean, it, the reason to come to this isn't because of what's going to happen on the field. It's just to be a part of this spectacle of you know nearly 150,000 people there. 
um, and just what what all it ends up turning into. I think there will be plenty of tickets on the day of if you're trying to get one. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I think it, it, it'll be cool. It'll be. I'm lucky enough to be on the field, so I'll get to see what's happening. Um, <laughs> but I'll definitely have to go back and watch it a couple times to really get the feel of. I mean, this place is. If you've never been to Bristol. It is massive. It is insane what this is going to be like. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Indy. I've been to Daytona. I've been in places like that, and and I don't think people understand how huge they are. But enjoy it, man. Uh, One of the few decent games in the country this week. So uh, have fun on Saturday. I know. I'm excited. I am excited about that, that of all the crappy games on the schedule this week, and I at least get to be at one that counts. Yeah, I get to be at Eastern Michigan, so we'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one, Paul. Thanks, Gabe. All right. From two teams who played uh, nationally televised games and and probably came out of it feeling worse than uh, than they went into it to kind of the opposite, a team that played a game probably a lot of people didn't pay attention to and maybe feels a little bit better about itself. We're going to talk to Chris Clark, Chris Clark of GamecockCentral.com about South Carolina. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing well, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, just – I. The momentum swing among South Carolina fans, I mean, I'm seeing all sorts of tweets for like two and a half quarters. Oh, my God, South Carolina might not score all season. And then all of a sudden they win the game. I mean, look, I know it's only 13-10. I know it's Vandy, but that's a road win. South Carolina has to feel pretty decent, right? Well, I think the reason that you feel decent if you're anybody associated with the program, if you're a fan, is that you could sort of take solace in the fact that, like you said, Gabe, it's a road win. Okay, it's Vanderbilt. But Vandy has, you know, they return a lot from a defense that's good last season. And they have some legitimate players. Their defense was good last season. And that's even more uh, impressive when you consider that their offense and special teams were largely completely inept last season. And they still put up strong defense statistics. And, And Derek Mason's one of the best in the country on that side of the ball. So, they can take sauce in the fact that they won that game on the road, number one, with so many unknowns. And number two, they didn't play well. Uh, they didn't play well for, you know, offensively for you could call it three quarters, basically. I mean, the first half, they actually moved the ball some, uh, but they sputtered. They had a turnover in the red zone. They'd driven down the 17-yard line, fumbled it. Um, and then they three of the points were basically a gimme to Vanderbilt because Debo Samuel, their sophomore wide receiver, fumbled a punt. And so, you know, there, there were a lot of unknowns, and some of those, some of the youth and inexperience sort of reared its ugly head. Uh, but they win that game despite not playing well offensively. And a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, were quick to say, okay, we'll must champ offense, here we go. Mm-hmm. And really, if you want to say that, okay. But I don't think anybody expected a ton from this offense just because of personnel, number one. You know, in number two, uh, they shot themselves in the foot a lot. I mean, they had penalties. They had the two turnovers. Penalties were really bad. Once they cleaned those things up, cleaned up some miscommunications in the run game, you know, they played a lot better. I, I think they'll have better offensive performances than that this season, although I don't expect this to be a, you know, what you'd consider a maybe top half of the conference offense at the end of the year. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's at Vanderbilt, at Mississippi State, which looked absolutely awful, East Carolina, and at Kentucky the first four weeks. I mean, South Carolina has a little bit of a chance to get something going here in the first four weeks, don't they? <laughs> they do. And the schedule, the interesting thing is that the schedule in the second half of the season gets a whole lot tougher. Um, they do get several of those games at home. You know, you get 
Tennessee at home, Georgia at home. You couldn't favor South Carolina in either of those at this point. Um, you got to go play Clemson on the road. You got to go down to Florida. There are a lot of tough games. We you know when you get to the latter part of the season, but you know I think everybody's eyeing bowl eligibility of some sort at South Carolina as sort of a benchmark for improvement to mm-hmm. to to where there'd be some tangible progress. And it looks tough on paper given what they return. Given what they return and, and, and when you look at the schedule. But you're right. If they're going to get there, Gabe, they have to make a splash in the first part of the season doing it. So mm-hmm. it's a good start at Vandy. You know, Mississippi State won't be a quote-unquote easy game. Uh, they played very poorly in their first game. I don't think they're a bad team based on that week one result. Um, I don't think they're a, a very, very good team right now by any means. I still think it'll be a close one. And then, you know, you get ECU at home. They they spanked Western Carolina in their first game, but they're, you know, not as talented as they were a few years ago. And Kentucky on the road, I mean, that's always a tough game for Carolina, but we saw what Kentucky did last week. Right. All four of those games are winnable. But South Carolina could also lose any of them as well if they don't if, if they don't play uh, up to the standard that they need to. Yeah, and, and South Carolina has a schedule that I mean I'm looking at it. It's a lot like Missouri had a schedule like this two or three years ago, and I remember telling people, "Look, you're in the SEC. There's no such thing as an easy schedule." But if I'm <laughs> South Carolina, I'm going, "Okay, my road games are Vandy, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and, and Florida. You got to play one tough road game somewhere." And then I get the East, yeah. so I get Missouri, Tennessee, Georgia, all at home, and A and M at home. I mean, if I got to pick somebody from the West to come to my place, maybe it's A and M. I mean, if you're going to be in the SEC, it probably doesn't get a whole lot easier than that, does it? Yeah, and unfortunately for South Carolina, you know that they would have loved to have this schedule in you know anywhere from 2010 right. to 2013 because they'd have been in Atlanta a couple times. Uh, yeah, they probably could have made it more. Now, they should have made it more than the one time that they did, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, that said, it, it, it is a more favorable schedule in that you get some of those tougher games at home. You know, Clemson on the road, you, you obviously don't count that on the conference schedule. Everybody right. it looks at that game, of course, just because it's a rivalry game, top-ranked team. But, you know, you do get Tennessee, Georgia. Those are two of the teams that – to do something, and that is Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. And so you get two or three of those at home. You know, would South Carolina be favored in any of those three, whether it's Florida, Georgia, Tennessee? No, I don't think so. And even, you know, even if they go on a good run this first half of the season, they still may not be favored in any of those games. Uh, But the fact that you get them at home, you know, that does give you a better chance, certainly, than on the road. The statistics, I think, would, would probably bear that out. Yeah, well, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I know that it, I, I think people in your Columbia are thinking the same thing people in my Columbia are. Look, there's nobody in the SEC East that scares me to death right now. Georgia looked pretty good, but other than that, this thing looks ripe for somebody in the, in that bottom four. To, I'm not saying Missouri or South Carolina or anybody's going to win the thing, but maybe to win a few more games than people thought they would. Yeah, maybe may a little bit more competitive than we initially thought, um, you know, I think every team still has concerns. Tennessee was the one that I think most people looked at and thought it could be the most complete team because they're probably the most talented team offensively and defensively and on special teams even. You know, they seem the most complete, but yet they and, – and this is no slight against App State. They have an excellent staff, and they have some legitimate players. Um, 
But when you look at Tennessee at home week one with what they have, they shouldn't be going to overtime with App State. I mean, I, I don't think that's an unfair statement to make. Right. And so they did. And, and so you look at that and go, geez, you know, now could they have just had a bad game? Certainly. We've all seen some very good teams drop some absolute head scratchers, and Tennessee still won, and they'll probably get better. That's probably one of their worst games of the season. But, but who knows? You know, Florida has an excellent defense. Um, I think offensively there's still many questions. Georgia has some question marks, you know, at a few different spots. And, and then all the rest that you can lump in there, right. you know, they have questions all over the place, whether it's South Carolina, Missouri, you know, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. It's a fairly open, maybe more open conference than we thought. But I, I think if you've got to pick one, you still pick one of those top three that everybody's been uh, been sort of projecting before the season. Yep, no doubt about it. Well, Chris, I appreciate it, man. We'll check it, check in with you down the road, uh, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Saturday night. So uh, have a good one, and we'll talk to you later on. Sure, thanks for having me. Chris Clark, GamecockCentral.com, covers South Carolina for Rivals.com. And, uh, look, guys, we usually talk a little more Missouri, a little bit more Saturday's game. I, I can't do it. I, I mean, Missouri, Eastern Michigan, I, we talked about it right at the beginning. If this is a close game, get worried. I, I'm not telling you to hit the panic button after West Virginia. That game went very much like I thought it might go. If this is a fourth quarter game, it, I, I don't even care if Missouri wins, but if they win by like one score, then you better be a little bit concerned because we all last year when they went to Arkansas State and then they had UConn at home and that was a close game, we all kind of whistled past the graveyard and said, ah, don't worry, it's early, they'll be fine. They weren't fine. All the signs were there that that wasn't going to be a good football team by the third week of the season. If this is a close game against Eastern Michigan this week, the signs are there. This is not going to be a good football team. So that's why I didn't spend any time on the podcast. We, we've talked about it. We've written about it on the site. And, and obviously, we're going to cover the game and all that. But I want to take this chance to kind of look around the SEC after week one, give you guys kind of a look at who I thought some of the what some of the bigger storylines in the league were and just check in on a couple teams Missouri's going to be playing, not playing Ole Miss, obviously, but that one happened on Monday night, and, and that was a pretty big game nationally. So we wanted to do that. In the future, we certainly will be focusing more on the Missouri game, except for maybe the week they played Delaware State. But next week, we're going to preview Georgia, all that. Also going to make an effort to uh, to get some former players on the podcast this season for you. Talking next week to LaDamian Washington, and we will have other guys throughout the course of the year just kind of update you on what they're doing now, how closely they still follow the program, all that. So just a, a little bit of a different angle uh, for you guys to uh, follow some some old Missouri guys, I guess. Not calling LaDamian Washington old. I'm significantly older than him, but you get the idea. Anyway, thanks to uh, Neil McCready, Paul Fortenberry, Chris Clark. There's kind of the uh, the pulse of the SEC after week one going into week two. Again, Missouri, Eastern Michigan, 630 Saturday night. The SEC Network alternate channel. So whatever, your, whatever the SEC Network is on your TV, Scroll up two or three channels because Missouri, South Carolina, or Missouri, Eastern Michigan isn't on the main one. It's on one of the alternate channels. You may have to look online. I don't know. Um, but SEC Network's like 408 on my TV. I'm going to scroll up like two or actually, I'm going to be there, so I'm not. But like two or three channels up from there is probably going to be Missouri, Eastern Michigan. That's your warning. That's my one TV uh, advisement for the week. And, uh, Hopefully you can find it. Anyway, 6.30 Saturday night, and we'll talk to you on the podcast next week, previewing Georgia and uh, checking in with former Mizzou receiver LaDamian Washington.